Do Christians suffer less than unbelievers out there, or do they suffer more? Find out more on this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. There's some questions that Christians often have to wrestle with. Do believers have more of more benefits believing in God, or are there more 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 suffering and, and, and more 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 just more burdens as as believers? This is the question we're going to raise on this episode of Inverse. We're so glad you decided to join us. We're going to have a word of prayer. We'll get right into Scripture. So Israel, can you pray for us? Father in heaven, thank you that in the Bible we find the truth about reality as we live it. And we pray, Father, that today as we, su- as we study this uh, topic of suffering and loss, that you'd be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Sebastian, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And we're looking at this entire season on the concept of families. And families are often the environment and platform for suffering and for loss and for a lot of these things. What is a good verse we can start with in chapter 3? So we'll start in uh, verse, verse 7 and mm-hmm. we'll read 7 and 8. Okay. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Hey, Kelly, what's going on there? I know, I know immediate context seems a bit weird, but help, help us flush that yes. out. Yes, I think a good way is to kind of break down the ending part of verse 8. Mm-hmm. Um, so he talks about, yeah, all these things lost, excellence, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So these good things that he listed previously, I count them lost. That, mm-hmm. meaning this is the purpose, mm-hmm. that I may gain Christ. Mm-hmm. And this idea that all these good things that he accomplished or accomplished in him, he doesn't count them as good anymore because he instead exchanges them for the knowledge and this closeness with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. more important. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you start reading the first part of chapter 3, mm-hmm. uh, Paul's going to give us kind of an insight into what his family background is, what his pedigree is. And he's talking about the fact that he's a Jew, that he's like the Jew of like the Jews, really Jew. that he's like the best of the best of the best of the Jews. And so he's actually, you know, we're getting a picture into his genealogy and who he is as an individual. And Sometimes, you know, you have this element of the family dynamic of where you come from, and this defines you. This is certainly what has defined Paul. And Paul said that all these definitions that are, that are attributed to me because of the family that I come from or the things that I've done, when you come face to face with who Jesus is, it's not, not only is it nothing, not only is it zero, but it's actually negative. You know, and so I think that's what mm-hmm. what it's. Uh, and I think I think it's so profound what what Paul is is um, presenting to us is the idea that by contrast, the cherished value and preciousness of Jesus and knowing Him as a person puts every single thing that we could possibly lose in its proper valuable place. Mm-hmm. So it's like yes, normally you remove Jesus from the equation, and man, losing my health and losing my life and losing my family is devastating. But for the person who knows Jesus, this is such a prized possession that I'm actually already considered these things as loss just so I could gain Jesus. And as long as I have Jesus, me suffering the loss of these things and my desire to serve and to submit my life to Christ helps me to understand that, yes, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much because I have this precious thing. And that 
through this precious thing, I can actually regain anything that I've lost. So let me ask the question I asked in the opener. Do Christians suffer more or do believers suffer less? I think the answer is yes. Yes. Oh, you got to do the whole, like... <laughs> no, I can't uh, help it. <laughs> I think, game. you know, there's there's aspects of the Christian life uh, that you suffer more, right? Cause How so? You're on the opposite side of the devil. Devil hates you. Therefore, the devil will do bad things to you. You're a target. Mm -hmm. So there's persecution. There's health loss. There's trust loss. There's all these other kinds of loss. But you gain Christ. And so then it's like, okay, well, someone who's on the same side as the devil, they don't suffer. They do because they don't have Jesus. So I think sometimes the suffering looks the same, but it's experienced differently. And sometimes it looks completely different because suffering as, you know, you're the target of the devil, but you can find you can find purpose and you can find love and security in Christ mm-hmm. versus the devil's not directly attacking you, but all of the joy and all of the completion and beauty of life is sapped because you're not connected to God. So mm-hmm. it's still suffering. And, and I would even add to that, you know, that Christians and non-Christians or believers and non-believers pretty much suffer equally. I mean, you could find a Christian family that has not been touched by cancer or disease, and then you could find one that has, and you can find the same thing among non-believing families as well. And I think that suffering doesn't have favorites, right? I think the difference is for a Christian, the t- when suffering does come to me, I know that it's because God has allowed it, because I'm in Christ, which gives it a completely different meaning, right? Like Romans 8:28 that, you know, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord mm-hmm. and are called according to his purpose. So because I love God and because I know Jesus, these things that come to me are the right problems, right? Because God is only going to allow them for the purpose of our relationship to grow, for the purpose of my blessing, for the purpose of removing a hindrance or a sin in my life. Mm-hmm. Versus for the unbeliever, their suffering is just at the mercy of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily redemptive. It's not necessarily going to help you develop, you know, something. It could just be devastation. It may yeah. be that in the judgment of the whole world and all the information is just revealed mm-hmm. that we'll actually be able to quantify who has suffered much. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that I'm extrapolating from your two comments is that one thing for sure is because you believe in God does, does not mean that all suffering is eliminated. Correct. Yeah. There is would, suffering as a Christian. Absolutely not. I would, say that, I would say that a Christian suffers more. And the reason why I would say that is because a Christian, by taking upon the title of a Christian, you're essentially calling upon yourself uh, to be tested. You need to test that that identity that you have, right? You You need to test that profession. If I say I'm a Christian, I have to test that. And so the issue is that love has restrictions upon it. And that's just the bottom line. So if you really have the love of Christ or if you have love for someone... Actually, that love brings with it restrictions. And if you consider these restrictions suffering, then it brings more suffering. Mm-hmm. For example, if I, were to, if I were to give people things that I have to do because I'm married to my spouse, right? Pe- people would think, like, I would never want to be married. him. Right. You know, I have to get up and I have to do certain things because my wife likes me to do them. Taking I, out the garbage every yeah. Tuesday morning because she has Monday, to do morning, it. Monday, Monday yeah. Okay. Not just taking out the trash, but I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about dressing a certain way, right? Uh, I'm talking about like, yeah. I have to, you know, get shave. a haircut. I have to yeah. shave. I have to all these different it's things, you, which is, it, it's hard being me, hard right? Being so now <laughs> if, if, we were to, if we were to talk about the different things that I have to do to please my wife, then 
someone that hasn't experienced love or someone that doesn't love my wife would see that as suffering. Yep. It would see that as they would see that as a restriction. And so love by nature has restrictions, you know, and so it's the same thing with Christ. Christ is bound because of love. He's bound in that he cannot do certain things that Satan or the devil would do. He's restricted, and so therefore he has to suffer. And so I think that the Christian who takes upon them the name of Christ and genuinely loves the way that Christ has called us to love is going to suffer more than anyone else because they're being, they're, that call is being tested. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that is like a perspective issue, right? Because I feel like your point almost makes me um, think of it in a different light, which is uh -huh. the fact that what you're doing for your wife is not suffering, but I perceive it as suffering. Uh -huh. So for you, you're not saying, well, I do these things for my wife and, you know, ho-hum, I'm suffering more because I love yeah. my wife. But on the outside, I'm saying, like, man, that's suffering. Like, yeah. Well, I think, it's, I think it's both. I think it's both because there are some things that you don't want to do uh -huh. as far as your feelings go, but you still do anyway because of the principle of love. Now, and then I think when you take that even a step further to our relationship with Christ, it's genuine suffering. You know, you're, you're going through, when you're testing the call of Christianity, yeah. you're genuinely suffering. Well, this is, this is uh, a philosophical argument. I don't know. Who and and like, like I said, uh, <laughs> it may be at the judgment. We'll be, we'll be able to yeah. quantify yes. and be able to objectively say that. But there are different perspectives, yes. different existential forms of suffering. But, but let yeah. me get to the point of my question. Okay. Is we're not here to debate who's suffering more. Correct. But the point is there's many people who are suffering yeah and Everyone. how do we deal with that suffering? that's my question <laughs> that I was trying to get regardless of which side that on, on, mm -hmm. on that right. who at. suffers more yeah. going back to our original verse i think whatever yeah whichever camp you're in the sebastian camp or the israel camp israel of life. how sebastian much camp. thank you israelites. so much for always providing nice i'm here for you I'm here for me. you too always anyway so of which one suffers more it's irrelevant in the sense of even if christians do suffer more even if they suffer a thousand times more it's always worth it mm -hmm. so it never outweighs like man jesus you cheated me man that that's that's a super cool point Regardless of the amount, it's it's worth it at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. like the value of the suffering. Like Second Corinthians four seventeen, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's like, man, why would you say light affliction? I'm not feeling a light mm -hmm. affliction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he's going. That's not a light affliction, but that's what you can call it. Like, man, when I see all the things that God has done, is doing, and will do, like. This is a light affliction. This is not yeah. that bad because God is with us in it. He's with us through it, and he will be with us after it. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm. So let's take a look at a couple forms of loss. And it's not actually a loss component, but it's the pain associated with the loss. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, as young adults, sometimes we feel like we're going to live forever. <laughs> and then the first yep. encounter we have with some kind of loss of health it's actually a shock for people in their 20s or 30s. Like, yeah. what? Like, I, I, I have this or I have that. I mean, it's, I remember the first time where I had major, major surgery done. I went skiing and I tore my ACL. Oh. And I thought I could run from here to California back every single day. I think you just feel invincible. Right. Like, weaknesses of the body are not even considered. But first, I couldn't put my socks on. Mm. You know, and then mm. just, I mean, I know that just sounds really stupid, but the inability for my body to perform how I want it was a very humbling uh, realization for me in my 20s. Yeah, and I think, and I think you're hitting on the, the idea that sometimes what loss reveals to us, you know, as we revisited in a previous episode about identity, right, and who we are and who we are in Christ 
is really what it con every loss is bringing us back to. Because mm -hmm. when you lost that ability, it's kind of like, man, I was defined by my ability to run across, you know, the United States and back or ski in this way. Now <laughs> I can't even put my socks on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, who am I? Like, what does that say about me now? Who, who does that make me? Because mm -hmm. we defined ourselves by these things. But when we suffer loss, it's kind of bringing me back to say, well, now I don't have that, but I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. I still have purpose. I still have meaning, right, mm -hmm. because of my relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. So how do we, what do we say to people who have loss of health or have that temptation to be despondent because of the suffering that they're experiencing? Kelly? I think the first aspect, even beyond before that, is sometimes we try to go into the situations and overly prescribe and overly give advice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people just need to be heard and loved mm -hmm. and given compassion. And it depends on the relationship, but I just sure. feel like to say that still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to affirm just like Jesus did, like someone's loss of health is not a loss of love on Jesus' part. Mm -hmm. um, because we really do connect that a lot of times mm -hmm. when there's a loss of anything. So mm -hmm. one is affirming what the Bible does and does not say yeah. about that. Um, Amen to that. I mean, uh, yeah. there's, there's the male instinct to so just, just go and fix it. But <laughs> there is the empathetic, not empathetic, but empathic form. Where I remember one time I, I had my leg was, was broken or whatever. And someone just like, stand up, just, just get over it and, and fix it. And I'm thinking like, wow. I hope I, I want to break your leg right now. You know, that, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was my, my uh, anyway, I'm so angry right now. We need to take a break. We'll see you after the, uh, after this commercial break. <laughs> Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Hey, welcome back, friends. I'm feeling a little bit better now. We're and, praying for you. Uh, I guess the, the point I wanted to mention was that when in the midst of my surgery and recovery, mm -hmm. it was I was dwelling upon Philippians chapter 2, and I saw the condescension of Christ. And he became a human being, took our the likeness of sinful flesh, a weakness of human body, and he used that weakness as his strength. I mean, he used his humanity as a way to get to people's heart. I mean, he, he used it. I mean, he mm -hmm. could have, mm -hmm. it, it was just an amazing thought that humanity was a benefit to his divinity. You yeah, know? I remember. Uh, well, well, let me just finish. And so it was, it was <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm compelling here, man. I'm telling my story. Um, and then so what happened was, it was, at, it was at my church that where I was going up the steps and I couldn't go up the steps. It was just, and then was, you know, can you imagine just, just it was, it, wow. Anyway, this was a very existential moment for me. That's okay. And man. it wasn't until that I sat with some, some of my church members who were elderly. And, I, and they also had knee problems and mobility problems and accessibility problems. They started seeing the world through their eyes. Yeah. So I saw ramps, stairs differently. I saw ice differently. I saw the work of deacons who were breaking the ice on a different level. For me, this was before just things that church had to do. But now this was an open world, mm -hmm. and I sat down with him, and I had access to their world because there was, there was an em empathic link between that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this, this is awesome. And so I, I, was, I love this disability. It has allowed me to open areas of my identity that I never did for service sake. Yes. And it, it, was, a, it was a huge blessing and a large picture. That's Sebastian. Awesome. And, and that's exactly <laughs> where I was going to go, was that, you know, I remember um, a story that my spiritual mother... <laughs> 
my spiritual mother had um, was shared that she was going through a, a medical emergency yeah. and was going through these different treatments uh, for a persistent condition she had. And while they're in there, her and other women who were going through this treatment, you know, they're kind of crying and calling family members and like they don't know the outcomes. And she was thinking to herself, like, you know, I don't, you know, you're you're in the woe is me. Like, I can't believe I'm going through this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, it struck her that, you know, these women may or may not know God. But the reality is, is that I'm here right now and I'm a Christian. So she she grabbed one of the women in the waiting room and she said, hey, I don't know if you're a believer, but I do believe in prayer and I, I would love to pray with you. And the woman said, that would be great. And so these two weeks of going through this treatment, eventually all the women coming for the treatment would have prayer for every single person before their treatments. Mm. And it was the first time in this particular treatment center that everybody left in a positive. Mm. Like the treatments were completely positive. They went back with minimal effects. And she was telling me, you know, Sebastian, that this taught me that many times what we view as loss or a situation that is a hindrance was God actually pushing us into some sort of service that we would mm-hmm. never choose, mm-hmm. right? That you don't, you choose who you serve, but not where you serve. Yeah. So if Jesus lets you go to that clinic for that treatment or go through a broken leg experience, God wants to use you in that whole context in order yeah. to serve mm-hmm. him. What we've talked about so far is, uh, is actually loss that is converted to gain. gain. Mm-hmm. But what Paul is talking about is gain that is converted to loss. Mm-hmm. You know, he's saying all these things which were gained to me, I counted them but loss. Mm-hmm. And... So there's here a deliberate effort on Paul's end, not just to make the best out of suffering, but to embrace suffering for what it's supposed to do. Mm. And here he says, what, what, what is the purpose of suffering? Why is suffering so effective and so important that I actually turn gain into loss instead of just turning loss into gain? Mm-hmm. And he says here that what, it, what does that for him, it says, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Mm. And so he's not talking about for, for Christ's sake, because he's, he's receiving Christ, but he's talking about the knowledge of Christ, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. That word excellence, it kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13, and, or 12 and 13, where it talks about how love is the more excellent way or the more excellent gift. And I think that what Paul is speaking of here is, it is through loss that we actually find a, a deeper and a more intimate understanding of the love of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what loss is supposed to do for us, that it's supposed to teach us, uh, yes, our vulnerability or our weakness or our whatever, but more than anything else, it's supposed to teach us about the love of God and how God loves us even when it seems that he doesn't love us or when things in, around us are, indi- are an indication that God has turned against us, how even in those moments of suffering, actually the opposite is true, mm-hmm. that that is when his love shines most beautifully. And I think that that's why Paul's embracing lo- loss, because he knows and he understands that without loss, there's a component of the character of Christ that is not revealed, that it's only revealed in loss. Mm-hmm. And so he's embracing loss. He's actually choosing loss instead of gain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears to a loss of trust. Uh, there are different Bible stories where we see that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, mm-hmm. or we see siblings who have, you know, uh, you know, crazy stories. I mean, you see some of the most uh, horrific. horrific families in, in the Bible and siblings doing all sorts of 
things to each other and uh, sexual violations and, 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 and all that stuff, trauma. Um, what, do you, what, what can we say as Christians from that uh, about loss of trust? Not from people you don't know, not from strangers, but this is internal within your own family. Well, I think um, in James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, it's, it's one of the... James chapter 5, verse 16. It's one of the verses that I, I, um, I love to use in, in this context when we're dealing with the loss of trust. Mm-hmm. And it says, you know, talking to the, the general letter that James is writing, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this because, number one, it, it tells you to own and to recognize in these contexts where there is a loss of trust, number one, that trust has be, begun to be regained when the person owns the fact that I did betray you. Yeah. Like with Joseph and Judah, eventually Judah owned the fact that he made a mistake and he even changed mm-hmm. and went to bat for his younger brother, Benjamin, mm-hmm. you know, and recognized, like, this is what he did to his father. This is what he did to his brother. And so James says, look, you need to confess to one another these trespasses, these issues, but then you also need to pray for one another. And I think a lot of times when family has disappointed us, and I've definitely had family members that you feel have betrayed you, we're so focused on either vengeance or just getting it corrected or like you need to make it right, or maybe it just cannot be righted. The time has passed where you neglected, like you didn't come to my wedding or, you know, you never showed up or called me on my birthday or whatever to acknowledge And we're like, man, how could you forget? Like, how could you not show up? Now you can't show up now. It's over. So at that point in time, the recognition is, look, I need to pray for this person. We don't know what's going on in that person's life as to what drove them to cause that breach of trust. Mm -hmm. And it what what James deals with is the fact that even though I'm imperfect and I also breach trust, my prayers are effective. Mm-hmm. I can pray and still be considered a righteous man in Christ mm-hmm. and pray for this person so that they may be healed. Mm-hmm. Israel? When you look at stories in the Bible of, of betrayal or of, or of people that have done horrific things, you, you know, you, you, talk about, you talked about earlier, there are stories in the Bible of, of people that you know, sexually abused their own family members and, mm-hmm. and the result of that. You look at all these horrific things in the Bible, and even in their even in their in their just debasing sin, what ultimately comes through the thread that is interwoven into all these stories is the fact that God always pursues the sinner and that's the that's the beautiful thing about Christ that even in the worst of circumstances, he always finds a way to look at number one the victim who has suffered but also the person who has committed the crime. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from the very beginning, you look at Genesis chapter 3, it is God who is in search of Adam and Eve who have broken their trust with God. And so when we talk about, or when the Bible talks about a loss of trust and how we respond to that, it gives us the, the challenging responsibility of going and searching after the person who has committed the worst of all crimes and finding a way to restore in them Mm. the image of God and to restore them into a loving relationship with Mm -hmm. Christ. I would say ultimately, ultimately, just maybe from a clinical perspective, we need to establish that should anybody be in a very immediate dangerous situation, they need to be excised from the circumstance 
immediately. Excise means physically leave. I just want people to Yeah, okay, the, the get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I think as, as Christians, sometimes there are some we, weird thinking. Uh, yeah. Hey, I need to be here to be that with person. And we enable the abuse that, that we receive. But in the larger picture from that is that God is in the business of healing all parties involved, oh, yes. and we need to victim or uh, the, the violator. Uh, we need to see that salvation from that holistic perspective. And Callie. the reality that we can forgive people even if we don't trust them again, mm. um, because maybe they're not, they haven't repented. Because you can forgive someone without them asking for forgiveness, and we Very should. Yeah. We shouldn't hold grudges, but we should also remember that doesn't mean to put ourselves back into a dangerous situation right. again, because mm-hmm. that's just foolish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's hard to stomach you know, for a lot of people, because like you said, it can be abuse, like, oh, you know, you need to forgive me, which means you need to accept me back in your life and restore that trust. That's not what that means. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's very abundantly clear that, you know, when a person is forgiven for an action against you or even against God, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to regain 100% of the trust that you lost. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. the miracle of what God accomplishes for the sinner, yeah. ultimately. But in life with humanity we have to sometimes protect the perpetrator from themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have to remove myself so That's you right. don't fall into That's sin. right. Yeah. You know, and to own the fact that if I continue to enable you in your weakness, I'm going to let you persist in sin rather than removing myself. Mm-hmm. And still, there, there are consequences. Even if you're forgiven, there are still consequences sometimes that have to yes. be lived out to yes. fruition. Yes. There's a spiritual the realm and yeah. there's the reality realm, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're not exactly the same. And right. let the, let the you results know, flow with it. Uh, fall where oh, they, they need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I was watching on television a few months ago just a horrible crime that happened here in the United States where a doctor abused a gymnastic team of the national team, young girls, and, and that happened near my hometown. And as I was reading and watching what was taking place, something came over me, just this, this anger. I didn't even know these, these young ladies. I didn't know their families. But you watch the interaction of what is taking place, and the natural thing that sprung within me was hatred. I thought to myself, man, if this guy ever came near my kids, what I would do to him, you start planning in your mind all these different things. And, and I was listening to, the, to the, what was taking place, and they eliminated, it came to the point where in my mind I would eliminate hope from their life. And what I'm talking about regaining the person or bringing that person back into a relationship with Christ is restoring in everyone this possibility of hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Christians are to be... Uh, Christians experience loss like anyone else. But it's not that loss that's the, the, the factor. It's the pain associated with the loss. And my takeaway from today's discussion is that we, we still have hope in Christ, mm-hmm. not just for ourselves, for all parties involved. And it is Christ that restores all things. So hopefully you out there have been blessed by this, this, this discussion. I know I have been. It, it's, not a, the, it's not a glib answer to solve any problem. But the hope in Christ is the answer to our human condition. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week here on Inverse. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by The Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag InverseBible. Until next time, this is Inverse.